I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word this morning. Join me once again in the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 5. We'll pick up where we left off last week. We'll pick up in verse 1 of chapter 5 and walk through verse 15 this morning. And as we do that, uh, I want to encourage you, uh, kiddos, I know that you are in the service with us. We are delighted that you are here and uh, Pastor Michael is going to need your help this morning a little bit. Sometimes mom and dad don't pay attention, and uh, we need to make sure that uh, they do that. So you help me out with that this morning, and I know you've got a kid's bulletin that you'll be able to follow along with us as well as we walk through the text today. You know, one of the things that is always interesting to me is that there are movies that have iconic scenes that you never forget once you see it. There's a scene that just popped up in your mind from a movie. Maybe it's your favorite movie. Maybe it's a scary movie that you saw at one point in time, but you always know that that scene's there. You know, one of the things that I remember about 12 or 13 years old is watching a movie called Braveheart. Now, some of the teenagers that are in here, you've seen not the movie most likely. You may have seen a gif of... Mel Gibson, blue painted face with the word freedom on it. You may remember that. But here's the thing. I don't know if you remember that scene from the movie, but at this point in time, Mel Gibson's portraying William Wallace, and uh, he's on horseback. He is leading the Scottish army to fight against all of the English army, and at that point in time, he has to rally the troops, has to get them ready for the battle that they're about to fight. And he's going back and forth in front of the troops on horseback, and he closes out his speech before them. If you've never seen it, it's worth going and watching it on YouTube, just so that you have this picture in your mind. But at the end of the speech, he makes this statement, the last line. He said, they may take our lives, but they will never take our freedom. They may take our lives, but they can never take our freedom. What we're going to see in the text this morning is Paul continue making the case that because of what Jesus Christ has done in our lives, if we're followers of him, that we experience the freedom that exists being a follower of Jesus because of what he's done. Now, at this point in time, I want to encourage you to grab your copy of Scripture and join me in Galatians chapter 5. If you need a Bible, there should be some around you. It'll be up on the screen as well. If you don't own a Bible, I'd encourage you to grab one that should be in the seat back in front of you, and you take that home as our gift to you every single week. If you're new to North River, we open God's Word together, walk verse by verse through it, and ask the Lord to speak to us through His Word and this morning is no different. I want to read for us Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, going down through verse 15. This is what God's Word says. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. 
You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish that those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see, that you would open our ears that we would be able to hear, and that you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit. We ask all of this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. You're taking notes this morning. I want you to write down this main idea that will frame our time together in the text, and it's this truth. When we experience true freedom in Jesus Christ, we will be able to love and serve others well. When we experience true freedom in Jesus Christ, we will be able to love and serve others well. Kids, I want to give you an opportunity and your handout this morning to uh, draw the picture that comes to your mind when you think of the word freedom. You see, the truth is for us, as we look at the text this morning, Paul is going to highlight the same thing that he's been reminding us of over the last four chapters. So if you've been with us, you remember that for four chapters now, Paul has been opening the case and giving the evidence to show that salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And it's faith in Jesus Christ alone. There's nothing that you or I could add to our salvation because of our works. Paul has been highlighting this over and over and over again in various and different ways, reminding, hopefully drilling down deep in the hearts of the Galatians to help them see that important truth, that salvation, being justified before God is not on the basis of anything that you or I can do. It is totally on the basis of what Jesus Christ has done. So in just a little bit, when we celebrate baptism, we're not celebrating baptism as if that is a saving act. No, baptism simply demonstrates, publicly declares what Jesus Christ has done in our lives. The problem that's going on in the region of Galatia at this point in time is that false teachers have entered into this location and they have tried to convince the believers who were there gathered in the churches that Jesus was not enough. It's not enough to trust Jesus as your Savior, be forgiven of your sins. That's not enough. You need Jesus plus something else. 
You need Jesus plus circumcision. You need Jesus plus following the Old Testament civil and ceremonial laws. If you don't have Jesus plus those things, you're not really saved. And we know that as Paul has been walking us through these first four chapters, he's been saying to us, that is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is salvation through him alone. Based on the total work that he accomplished on the cross and his resurrection, it's not on the basis of anything you or I could do. Paul has been reminding the believers of this important truth, and he's going to do that briefly once again. In the first verses, he's going to say, now, don't lose sight of your identity in Christ. This is who you are. Rest in the freedom that comes being a follower of Jesus Christ. Rest in the truth of who you are in Christ. And then at the end, he's going to say, and in light of that, here's how you live. In light of who you are in Christ, your identity, this is what your life should look like. So as we look this morning at the text, I want you to notice beginning in verse 1 that Paul says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Jesus Christ's death on the cross, his resurrection, when we receive salvation through his name, We in that moment, Paul says to these believers and to us, we experience freedom in Christ. Meaning that we are not trying to measure up any longer in God's eyes. In fact, we've already said we can't. That's why we need Jesus. But once we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, we at that point in time experience the freedom that comes through living in Christ maybe here this morning and for you, you have wondered, how can I be accepted in God's sight? Maybe you've had the thought that maybe I could be a good enough person and earn salvation as a result of that. Maybe God looks at me and says, you're better than the person beside you. I'll take you instead of that person. And I want you to hear me this morning. Your acceptance before God is not on the basis of anything that you can do. You can't earn God's favor. You can't earn your salvation. You can't earn righteousness. You say, Pastor, that sounds really bad. The truth is, it is bad until you read the Gospels and realize that Jesus Christ came to this earth, the very Son of God, to do what you and I could not do. Came to live the life that you and I could not live perfectly upholding the law of God and living in relationship with him. And so salvation is only on the basis of what he has done for us. You may be here this morning and you've never taken the step of trusting Jesus Christ as your savior. As we continue to walk through the text this morning, my prayer, my hope is for you to consider what does it look like to take that step? What's the end result? of taking that step? What is the life transformation that comes about when I take that step? Paul says in verse two, look, 
I say to you that if you accept circumcision, and when he's talking about circumcision there, he's certainly talking about the act, but he's using it to encompass the Old Testament civil and ceremonial laws. He's highlighted that as we've walked through the book of Galatians before of keeping festivals and all of these things. And he says here, if you turn from the true gospel and you turn to a works-based gospel, he says, Christ will be of no advantage to you. If you make that turn, Jesus Christ, he says, is of no advantage to you. I want you to notice, beginning in verse 3 and walking through verse 6, what Paul is going to say is true. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, what you experience, what your true identity is. He says in verse 3, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. If you're taking notes, I want you to write down. We're going to see a series of statements made between verses 3 and 6 this morning that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, that you experience freedom from the things that he is going to outline here. So notice that he's talking about those who would adopt this works-based salvation versus those who say the true gospel is salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. So if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, because of our relationship with Jesus Christ, we experience freedom, he says here, from bondage. Notice verse 3. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision. So he says if you're going to turn and you're going to base your salvation on a works-based situation, you are obligated to keep the whole law. He said this before as we've walked through it, you are in bondage to all of the law. If you think by keeping one aspect of the law you can be saved, he says, here's the thing, you got to do it all. And you look at that and you say, man, that's pretty discouraging because Paul's already outlined for us that it's impossible to do that. That the keeping of the law, the keeping of the Old Testament civil and ceremonial laws that were given to the Israelites in the Old Testament, to try and earn our favor before God on the basis of that is impossible. In fact, you and I know the reality is that none of us can keep the law of God perfectly. You say, man, that's not encouraging news. No, here's what's encouraging about that for us who are followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus did what we could not do. So now in God's eyes, we are walking in freedom, not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus has done for us. But Paul says that's not true of those who are coming in and telling you you have to live under the law. He says, no, in fact, you are living under bondage. You may have come in this morning thinking, well, maybe, Pastor, I can live a good enough life and God will accept me. And the reality is for you in this moment are living under bondage. Here's the question. How do you know you'll measure up? How do you ever know that you'll attain to the standard that God has set before you? You don't. And you can't. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that he did what we could not do. 
So for us who have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we, as a result of that, experience freedom from bondage. Notice verse 4, we also experience freedom from doubt. He says, you are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. If you think that the law will save you, Paul says here, you have a real problem. There's no assurance in that. There's no assurance in you being able to measure up to God's standard. So for us who are followers of Jesus this morning, what we know is that we couldn't do it and Jesus did it on our behalf. So where there's moments in our lives where doubt creeps in and we wonder, man, what does God think about me? How does God interact with me? If you are a follower of Jesus this morning, he looks at you and he looks at me and he says, child of mine. He looks at you and he looks at me and he says, Christ's righteousness has covered your sin. When he sees us, he sees his son, Jesus Christ. Paul says the freedom that we experience from being in constant doubt of wondering what God thinks about us disappears because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Doesn't mean that there won't be moments when we have doubts, but we're able to go back to the truth of what God's word says, be able to stand firm in our freedom in Christ and what that means for us. I want you to notice that in verse five, he continues, and not only do we have freedom from bondage and freedom from doubt, but he says in verse five, we have freedom from hopelessness because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. For through the spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. I don't know if you spend very much time watching the news or not. I don't recommend it. There's a lot of stuff going on in our world, and for us as believers, there's a lot of opportunity for us to see what's going on in the world and to get all worked up inside, wondering, questioning, what's God doing? wondering, questioning what's going to happen. I want you to be reminded this morning, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, your freedom in Christ allows you to walk away from the hopelessness that this world has. You turn on the news and you say, man, things look really bleak. And then you open your Bible and you see Jesus Christ returns and sets up his kingdom. That's a different perspective. Where those who don't know Jesus Christ may look at this world and say it's hopeless. We who are followers of Jesus because of our freedom in Christ look at this world and say there is hope. And his name is Jesus. And you can experience the freedom in Christ just like I've experienced the freedom in Christ and know that there is hope for the future, not on the basis of anything that we can do, but on the basis that Jesus made a promise when he left this earth that he would return for us. And then in verse 6, we have freedom from comparison. For in Christ Jesus... Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith 
working through love. I don't know if you've ever experienced this as a follower of Jesus or not, but you ever notice people around you and kind of it clicks in your mind and you think, man, they, they must have this following Jesus thing down better than me. Like maybe you are walking around church this morning and you're looking going, yeah, I, I don't know how they're doing that. I don't know how they're accomplishing that. Maybe you look at someone who is out in the culture and you look and say, man, I really am doing a whole lot better than they are. Maybe you feel a little bit better about yourself in this moment. You think, well, I thought I was bad till I met them. And I kind of got this Christian life thing down pat. Don't you notice what Paul says here for us and for these Galatians is that because of our freedom in Christ, we are freed from comparison. We're freed from looking around us and wondering, do we measure up in the culture in which we live or even in the church in which we live? Why? Because Jesus Christ measures up on our behalf. The truth is none of us measure up. But for us who are in Christ, the freedom that we have is that He has measured up for us. At this point in time, Paul is reminding these believers of who they are in Christ. This is your reality. This is who you are. This is the freedom that you enjoy because of what Christ has done for you. Notice he's going to continue on in verse 7. And he's going to call once again to the carpet those who were spreading this false gospel within the churches there in Galatia. And he's going to say some pretty harsh things about them. In fact, if you look, he asked this question of the believers you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth. Notice verse 8. Paul is going to say that someone who would seek to deprive or to diminish the freedom that these believers have in Christ by throwing this false works-based gospel in front of them and saying, this is what you have to do to be saved. This is what you have to do to measure up in God's eyes. He's going to say in verse 8, that person is not of God. That message is not of God. Notice this persuasion is not from him who calls you. This is not of the Lord. This is not the message of the true gospel of Jesus Christ. So someone who would come in and preach a gospel other than salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone, Paul says we should identify that and recognize and understand that that is not of God. Not only that, he continues on and he says about these people beginning in verse 9 and walking through verse 10 that they are a danger to the church. Verse 9, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty whoever he is. Paul says at this point in time that this person who's come in and preached a false gospel, that if that is allowed to continue to flourish, it will taint everything about what's going on in these churches. Not only that, verse 11, he says that this person is an enemy of the truth. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? 
In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. So Paul is saying to these believers that I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ from Jesus himself. And I preached that gospel message to you and you trusted in Christ as your Savior. He says, if someone would lead you in a different direction, they are in fact an enemy of the truth. And what should be the response? Paul says in verse 12, that person should be cut off immediately. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Paul has said before that anyone who preaches a false gospel should be cut off, should be cast away. And he reiterates that here for these believers. So he said to them, here's your identity in Christ. Here's the real identity of the person who is preaching a false gospel. Now, if you understand who you are in Christ, if you experience the freedom that is in Christ, he says, beginning in verse 13 and walking through 15, this truth, true freedom in Jesus Christ is evidenced by a genuine desire to love and to serve others. Why? Because you and I have been loved and served by Jesus. You know, it's interesting at this point in time, because I don't know about you, I told you before, I love lists. Like, give me something to do. I want a checklist. And if we're not careful as followers of Jesus, we'll walk into church thinking that that's what God is impressed by. Read my Bible today. Didn't beat my kids today. We'll think, man, I measured up today, but I didn't measure up yesterday, but I'm on the track. But I want you to notice that at this point in time, Paul doesn't give a list. You know, it'd be easy for him to do that. It'd be easy for him to say, now, because of your freedom in Christ, here are the 17 things that you ought to do. I've told you this before, church. I stray away from, as best I can, what I call list preaching and teaching. You've heard the sermon titles, seven ways to have a happier marriage, five ways to be a better parent, 13 ways to love your spouse more. You look at that and you say, man, all those things are, are super practical, but here's the problem in that. Paul is going to say here, here's the one thing. Not a list of 13 things, but here's the one thing. And it's not the one thing to earn God's favor. It's the one thing that once we realize, once it sinks deep in our hearts what Christ has done for us, the freedom that we have because of all that Jesus has accomplished for us, the natural result of that, sitting in that position, standing firm in that truth will be to live a life that looks like what he's about to describe. So he says, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. This was the accusation some were making against Paul. They were saying to him, Paul, you're just a free grace kind of guy. That's what you're really focused on. That's what you're really worried about. And you know what's going to happen as a result of that. If you tell people that there's nothing that they can do to earn God's favor, then there's nothing they can do once they trust Jesus as their Savior to lose God's favor, then they'll look and go, well, then I can live however I want to. 
But what Paul says is this, no, no, if you truly understand what Jesus Christ has accomplished for you, if you truly grasp what he's done in your life, if you truly allow that to sink down deep in your hearts, he says, through love you will serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, and that's to love your neighbor as yourself. And at this point in time, Paul says, listen, if you will grasp the truth of what Jesus Christ has done for you, if you allow that to sink down deep in your heart, if you will stand firm on that truth, it will radically transform the way that you live your life. When you understand the love that God has demonstrated for you by his son Jesus coming to this earth, you, if you understand that, your life will be marked by a love and a desire to serve other people. And Paul says in that, you will fulfill all the law. I want to ask you if you would to bow your heads with me and, and to close your eyes. And as we think this morning about the truth of God's word, I just want to ask a, a simple question of you this morning. Maybe you're here and the truth for you is that you came in today thinking that you could earn God's favor, that you could be justified on the basis of what you do for God. And yet the reality for you this morning is that you've come to realize that that's not possible. It's impossible for you to earn the favor of God. You say, Pastor, what do I do? You have the opportunity this morning to take the step of trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior, who accomplished what you could not accomplish, who did what you could not do. And this morning, you can receive the freedom that can only come through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus this morning, and for you, you've sat back and you've thought about the truth of what Jesus Christ has done for you. And the question for you today is, has that truth sank deep in your heart? Has that truth transformed the way that you live your life? Is the fruit of your life evidence that you understand that you are standing firm in the freedom of what Jesus Christ has accomplished for you. That your life is marked by love for others, a desire to serve others, not to earn God's favor, but from the position of having already received God's favor through his son, Jesus Christ. Father, we ask this morning that you would work in our hearts and our lives. There's one here today that's never taken the step of trusting Jesus Christ as their Savior. Would you give them the courage today, simply before you, to admit that they're a sinner and that there's no way that they can save themselves? 
to believe, to trust that Jesus Christ did what they could not do. And he laid his life down for them and offers to them today the gift of salvation so that if they confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, they will receive the salvation gift for themselves. Father, for the Father of Jesus here this morning, would you drill this truth down deep in our hearts so that our lives match what you say is true about us. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to ask you if you would to stand and sing. Our pastoral staff will be down front. For those who are being baptized this morning, I want to encourage you to go ahead and make your way over to the side of the sanctuary this morning. But you respond to the Lord as he leads this morning.